0: chapter number four. We're going to start reading in verse number one and uh, we're going to read the whole chapter and then uh, gather our thoughts. The Bible says, after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the th- throne proceeded thunder, or excuse me, lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation chapter number 4 takes us uh, on a journey as we begin to see heaven for the very first time uh, in the book of Revelation. And begin to see what John saw um, as he entered into heaven. And so let's jump right in at the top of your outline and uh, move right through it. In chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, John was commanded, he said this Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. We found that in chapter 1 and verse number 19. The things which thou hast seen obviously refers to the, vi- <clears throat> to the vision of the glorified Christ in chapter 1. While the things which are signifies the messages to the seven churches in Asia. In chapters 2 and chapter 3. And we've covered the things uh, uh, that, that uh, are in the past. And we've, we've covered the things which are the things in the present. The third section, the things which shall be hereafter, evidently begins in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1. Since John said to him, come up hither and I will show these things, or show thee things which must be what? Hereafter, hereafter, that is the key word right there. Hereafter, the events about to be revealed to John were to happen. The next word is after the previous visions and messages contained in chapters one through three. Why are we honing in on this? Why are we talking about this? Well, let me just kind of walk you through this um, because these are terms that you may have heard before. Um, terms that some of you are familiar with, others of you may not be familiar with. And uh, so let me just explain it to you. There are, um, there are three views of the rapture, okay? There are three views of the rapture. We're going to talk about what that word rapture means in just a minute. But that word rapture is not a New Testament term, okay? That, that is an English term that we use um, doctrinally, the word rapture, which means to, to be caught up. That word rapture means to be caught up. And so here we have, there are, there are three views of it. This is not in your notes. If you want to jot a few things down, you can. There are three views. There is the pre-tribulational rapture. The pre-tribulational rapture. That means that there are some um, apologetics uh, or, or, or people that study the Bible, if I could use it, that word, uh, uh, that believe that before the, ra- the tribulation begins... Before the tribulation begins, that the church will be raptured out. We will be caught up to heaven. We will not be a part of the tribulation. There's that belief. That is the pre-tribulational rapture. There is the mid-tribulational rapture. How many, uh, are, how many years is, there, is the tribulation? Seven years. That's right. It's a seven-year span. So there are some that believe in the mid-tribulational rapture, which means that after the first three and a half years, which the Bible tells us, and we'll learn this, that the first three and a half years of the tribulation is peace. There's no, there's, it's a very peaceful time. So some people believe that we are going to be raptured out after the three and a half years of peace. As a matter of fact, some people believe that we are in that right now. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but I have not seen much peace. Okay. Then there are those that believe in post-tribulational rapture, or post-rapture um, after the tribulation. So they believe that we're going to go all the way through the seven years of tribulation, and then we'll be raptured out. So we'll go through the three and a half years of peace, and we'll go through the three and a half years of war. And there are many people that believe in post-tribulational rapture. And they're believing it even more today because we are seeing all the wars and because we're seeing all the destruction and we're seeing all the things that are taking place. However, as we progress through this study, I believe that you're going to be able to see that we do not understand, if we believe in post-tribulational rapture, we do not understand what tribulation really means. Because there is is no indication that we are going through the tribulation based upon what the word of God says the tribulation is, okay? So, this is where I'm at. This is the way I'm going to teach you from here on out, okay? I'm going to tell you and I'm going to give you biblical definitions as to why I believe what I believe. Now, in this room of this many people, there will probably be some of you who disagree with me. I'm okay with that. I really am. And you can ask me all kinds of questions about it, and we can talk about it. Um, and, but what I want to do is that if we're going to believe something, then we have to have something to back our belief. Are you with me? So if we're going to believe something, then we have to be able to biblically prove Why we believe what we believe. And that's why throughout this study, I'm going to share with you what I believe doctrinally and biblically. And everything that I'm going to tell you and teach you is, unless I say this is my opinion, it's not going to be my opinion. It's going to be backed by the word of God. So you say, Pastor, you told us there's pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. So what do you believe, Pastor? I believe based upon the word of God, and we're going to defend it in just a moment. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. I believe that before the tribulation begins, we are going to, the church is going to be taken out. Now, can you prove that? Let's talk about it. So, um, the events about to be revealed in John were to happen after the previous visions and messages contained in chapters 1 through 3. As is clear in the hereafter, that was the word he used in the word of God. Which in the Greek literally means, he said hereafter, it literally means after these things. After what things? After the things that took place in chapter number one, chapter number two, and chapter number three. It was hereafter. And uh, so the Greek word hereafter, that's translated, that means after these things, it literally opens and closes Verse 1 of chapter 4. So the emphasis cannot be missed. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 1. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened where? In heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, what's the next phrase? Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be. Uh, excuse me, and show you the things which must be here after. So that's that's where we're at there. Now, this alone would give some justification to the view of many expositors that John's rapture to heaven is a picture of the future rapture of the church. So we have that one piece of evidence, but there is more evidence, and I want to share that with you, uh, because I believe that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Okay, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. I have many people that I read. I have many commentators that I read. Some of them, you could come to me and you say, Pastor, can you tell me a commentator that you read? Some of them, I would tell you who they were, and some of them, I probably wouldn't. Because some of them, if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in false doctrine. Because it's kind of like eating fish. I went to Romania um, and uh, this, this gentleman, I, I showed up uh, at this house, and this gentleman came in and uh, he said hello in Romanian. I waved back. And uh, he came in and he had this platter of fish. How many of you ever heard of the Danube River? Have you ever heard of the Danube River? Okay. Uh, the Danube River runs um, very interestingly uh, right through Romania. He went to the Danube River that morning and he fished all day long. And he came back, and he wanted to feed the Americans the fish that just came out of the Danube River. Don't do any research. (laughs) He took the fish alive, swimming in the buckets, and put them right on the grill. (laughs) Flipped them twice and stuck them on my plate. Now, what are you going to do? Cut the head off, skin the thing, and eat it. That's exactly what I did. Do you know what the appetizer for that day was? It was cow stomach soup. I'm not making this up. You can ask my wife. I'm telling you the truth. We cut the head off, and we skinned it. Now, I don't know. I honestly don't, still to this day, don't know what kind of fish it was, other than it stunk. Um... But as I was filleting it, you have to be very careful with this type of fish. Because when you pull the meat off, if you don't pull it off just right, they taught us how to do it. If you don't pull it off just right, it'll be full of bones. It's the same thing with people that you read and things that you learn. You have to take the meat and spit out the bones. So it's very, so, so when it comes to me and the word of God, my immediate thought process is the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The Bible more than than likely is going to say something about this subject, like the pre-tribulation or rapture, somewhere other than where we are studying it. So, there is more evidence. In chapters 2 and 3, the churches are the central theme. We have studied that seven weeks in a row. The churches were the central theme. But after chapter 3, guess what? The churches disappear. You do not find them again until we get to chapter number 19. And the church is no longer there. She's not on earth, but is in heaven as the bride of Christ. So what the question is then, if, it, if, the, if the church disappeared at chapter 4 and verse number 1, or actually chapter number 3, the last verse, if they disappeared then, where did the church go? Let's look what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You say, Pastor, what does that got to do with anything? Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1. You ready? Here it says. You ready? Watch. And the voice which I heard was as it were of a Trumpet. A trumpet huh you say is that it now nah, we'll keep going first Thessalonians for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the Bible says And the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are what alive and remain shall be caught up there's that word rapture Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The mystery there is called the rapture. The word rapture is not found in the New Testament, but it is taken from the Latin word rapari. And I can't say it in Latin, but there it is. uh, Which means caught up, or to transport, or to snatch away. So the word rapture refers to the snatching away of the church from the earth. Now, if that's not enough evidence for you, this is what I would say to you. I would say for you to go home and read chapter number 5, chapter number 6, chapter number 7, chapter number 8, chapter number 9, and chapter number 10. And tell me why in the world you'd want to be here. And tell me why a God who sent his son to die on the cross and shed his blood and then bury him and three days later he rises from the grave and now he's sitting at the hand or the right hand of the heavenly father why in the world he would want to allow his children to suffer the tribulation it doesn't make sense okay now again you may be here today and you may say, well, pastor, I believe this and I believe that. I'm okay with that. I really am. But this is what I would ask you to do for me. <clears throat> and, and this isn't me. Please don't take this as a prideful statement because I don't mean this at all because I'm, I'm open to anything. But if we're going to believe something different, I would love to hear it based upon biblical evidence, contextual evidence. Could I use that term? Because we can all pull something out of the Bible and make it fit. You know, we can all pull one word or one verse. There are denominations built on that. that. That we pick out one little section and go, oh, that works for us. But that rest of that, we'll just leave it over there. No. We should build our faith on all 66 books of the Word of God. Because it is the complete canon and the complete authority that we have. Now, Matthew chapter 24. This is one last one I want to give to you. Uh, don't get mixed up in Matthew um, and, and when we talk about, start talking about chapter 24 and chapter number 25 uh, uh, It's very, very careful that we don't look at these chapters and say Oh, that's talking about the second coming of Christ There's a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming And I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you And, and, and we're going to discuss it more as we go forward But those are two separate events The rapture and the second coming The first coming of Jesus Christ was when he was born in a manger his feet touch the earth. The rapture, the Bible says that he will come in the clouds. His feet will not hit the ground. The second coming is after the rapture, or after the tribulation, is the second coming. Matthew chapter number 24 is not talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And "...knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also, or excuse me, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be." He's talking about the flood, Noah, people uh, uh, wanting to get in the boat, they can't get in the boat. Uh, uh, they knew it was coming, uh, he had preached about it, such is the rapture, we've been preaching about it for years, thousands of years. And he says, "...so shall the coming of the Son of Man be." The Bible says, "...then shall two be in the field," meaning they'll be at work, "...the one shall be taken and the other left." Two women shall be grinding at the mill. One shall be taken, the other will be left. So it is a rapture situation, and one is taken and one is left behind. Let Let me give that thought to you, that there is going to come a day when we're going to be driving on Highway 166, or we're going to be sitting in our offices, or we're going to be sitting at home, or we're going to be somewhere and the rapture is going to take place and there's going to be some that go and some that stay and they're all going to be wondering where did we all go and we're going to talk about that as we get a little further but this is the rapture this is why we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture now with all this in mind i've given you a ton of information let's begin our study with chapter number four number one The person on the throne. The person on the throne. Before we go there, is there any questions? I just want to kind of throw that out there. Any questions? Please, please, uh, I want to help you in any way that I can. I I really do. This is not uh, me throwing my thoughts at you. I'm just throwing you the word of God. But I I would love discussion if you have any questions. Any questions about all that? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. We will be getting into that. Yeah, uh, that, that is, um, the, there's no one, let, let me just, as preface this, just to kind of clear your thoughts here. There, are, there will be no Christian left behind, okay? Um, we, we are all going to rapture out. But there is going to come a time when uh, the 44,000 will return to evangelize the earth. Does that make sense? Or are we good with that? And we're going to get into that, okay? Um, but, but every Christian is going to be raptured out. That, that, is a, that has to do with the Jews and, and all that will take place. You understand, and, and this is just biblical history, and I get excited about biblical history. I don't want to put you to sleep, though, okay? Um, it's just my thing. I get it, okay? Um, but you've got to understand that, that when the Jews rejected the Messiah, there was a moment in time where the Jews said, Jesus is not who he says he is. He's a good man, he's a great man, he's done great things, but we do not believe he's the Messiah. If you ask a, a true Jew that has not been converted to Christianity, if you ask them, are you still looking for the Messiah, they will say yes. Because to them the Messiah has not come. And because of that, if you read the book of Acts, you'll find out something happens. There's a transition in the book of Acts, where, where literally God takes the Jews and he puts them on the back burner. Because they have denied Christ. They have said, he is not the Messiah. However, the Gentiles in the book of Acts begin to accept Jesus. They begin to say, he is who he says he is. And we're going to preach and we're going to teach that. And there were even some prominent Jews who uh, were converted. And they believed, but they could not win the Jews. And so the Gentiles, the Bible in essence says that God took the Gentiles and put them on the front burner. Because they accepted him. When the rapture takes place, it all changes again. The Gentiles will go on the back burner, the Jews will go on the front burner, because the Jews are God's people. And so when he sends back, literally, the evangelistic team that we're going to talk about, their main goal and and idea is to the Jews, it is not to the Gentiles, okay? Some of you are looking at me going, huh? We'll get there, I promise. Uh, But I just wanted to kind of help you to clear that question up, okay? Okay? Any any other questions? Go. Right. Um, I think think the analogy could be used, but I want to make sure that we don't get, I don't want to get too deep in all this, but I just want to make sure we don't get caught up in the fact that, yes, yes, God made a way for Lot's family to be removed from the circumstance in which they were at, and he gives all of us that opportunity. But for Lot, because of Abraham, because Abraham was the father of many nations, um, as, as he is called. And because of Lot, and because of the situation and the dividing of the inheritance, God, I don't want to say forced, but he greatly encouraged Lot to move out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a sinner, you've got to understand that we are convicted. We are not, we are not verbally spoken to. And so under our conviction, we, have, we make a personal choice. But I believe with all my heart that there comes a point in every person's life that if you've heard the gospel over and over and over again, and you deny and you deny and you deny and you deny, you get become hard to the, to the truth of the gospel. And it's more difficult for you to... Um, to accept but certainly God removed the righteous from Sodom and Gomorrah because we know the story of, of Abraham pleading for the, for the Sodom and Gomorrah and he did remove them before destruction happened if you want a in my opinion if you want a perfect example of the rapture in the Old Testament it's Enoch the Bible says an Enoch walked with God and was Enoch never died I mean, can you imagine walking along one day, having a conversation with God, and all of a sudden you're in his presence? That's what happened to Enoch. That is exactly what's going to happen to us. We're going to be spending our day on the green belt. And somebody's going to say, well, he was there. And that's what happened with Enoch. He was. Um, And uh, there are other examples throughout the word of God. But God always gives us good Old Testament uh, uh, examples of a New Testament truth for sure. Good, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, Ms. Gretel. No, I did not say that. Salvation is the same for all. Without acceptance of Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you cannot obtain salvation. So, any Jew that has, and. and any Jew that has rejected Jesus Christ Just as any Gentile that has rejected Jesus Christ Will have an eternal home in hell I mean that's just the truth of the word of God okay? There are Jews uh, uh, that there, there are men that have converted from, from, from the Jewish law to Christianity And they are missionaries And they are evangelists to the Jews and, and, and I believe there are hundreds of thousands of Jews that are saved I believe that with all my heart Because God has touched their heart I believe that but what happened was, if you look at the book of Acts, you'll see that, that Jesus Christ came, he came into his own. The Bible says, and he came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received them, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. So he came into his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him. So then God said, Jesus said, basically, the the ones that have decided to take me and believe me as the Messiah, he came unto his own and his own received him, not, but as many as received him, talking about the Gentiles, but as many as received him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. And and, and so now what we've had is we've had a, 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 a Gentile... Um, a Gentile revival, if I could use that statement, that pushed from Acts chapter number 2 all the way through to the present day. And, and, and so what happened is, is that the Gentile nation of people have re- accepted the gospel and received the gospel more abundantly than the Jewish nation has. But the Jewish nation is is God's own people. He he loves them, he cares for them, and he he wants to see them saved, and he wants to see them have that that eternal place in heaven. And and the 144,000 that are coming in the rapture, or excuse me, during the tribulation, are mainly to evangelize the Jews, to help them see that he is the Messiah. Does that make sense? Are you guys, does that help clear that up? If any person, man, boy, or girl, does not matter their race, religion, ethnic, uh, ethnic background, doesn't matter. If they do not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they will not go to heaven. Okay? Okay, let's do this. Uh, we're, we're going to get to all of that, 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 is, that is down the road, um, and, and I don't want to dig too deep, because what will happen is if we don't lay a good foundation by the time we get to some of this stuff, you're going to be going, wait a minute, so let's lay a good concrete foundation, and then we will manifest through all of those, those type of things, okay? H- the question that he asked was, are the Jewish people that are alive at the rapture, can they be saved? That's the question, all right? These are good questions, and I'm happy to discuss them with you, but for, for a group setting, I want to be cautious that we lay the foundation properly before we go into controversial questions, okay? Any questions about the pre-tribulational part of it, or mid or post? Anybody? All right, let's get to the person. Here we go. The person on the throne uh, Above all else, chapter 4 is a vision of the throne room of God. Thus, the key word in this chapter is throne. It is throne. The key word in the chapter is throne. And we'll talk about key words um, as we study through the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, the entire book of Revelation is a throne book. Because the word throne appears 45 times in the book, compared to only 15 times in the rest of the New Testament... The one sitting on the throne is identified in verse number 8. And we read that. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. He's identified as Lord God Almighty. He's identified as Lord God Almighty. John described the person on the throne in terms of two precious stones, Jasper and Sardine. Words do not have the power to adequately describe what God's essence is like. So John can only use comparisons. There's no way that we'd be able to describe Jesus Christ. There's no way that we'd ever be able to describe God. So John, in all of his understanding and knowledge, was trying his best to be able to figure out something that would compare um, to Jesus Christ that people would understand. The brilliance and beauty of the glory of God is conveyed by the use of the jasper stone. How many of you have ever seen a jasper stone? Anybody? A jasper, you have seen a jasper stone? Good. A jasper stone is very clear. It almost looks like a diamond. Um, But a jasper stone is very rare. As a matter of fact, um, ladies, you should ask for a jasper stone ring, not a diamond ring. Let that be a blessing to all your husbands. Um, but a uh, jasper is very clear. And it's very brilliant. It's very magnificent. Um, you should go home and look up and see pictures of it. You can Google jasper stone. And uh, you'll see it. And uh, it's, it's it, like I said, it's very clear. It's very brilliant. And it can come in several different colors as well. But as described in the book of Revelation, it's talking about a clear, brilliant color. Um, it suggests translucent brightness much like that of a bright, shiny diamond. The sardine stone, which is also known as a ruby, I'm sure most of everybody has seen a ruby, um, was ruby red in color. These two stones, very interestingly enough, and we don't have time to look at it, I I was planning on reading it, but um, is the first and the last of the 12 precious stones on the breastplate of the high priest in the book of Exodus. Because God says that he's the... Alpha and the Omega. God doesn't make any mistakes, folks. When John was describing God, he said, well, the only two stones that I can quite compare them to is, is that stone of jasper and that stone of sardine. And, and, and it was all inspired by God because you go back to the book of Exodus and here you find the high priest He has a breastplate, and if you read Exodus chapter 28, I mean, it's clear as, as it is. It talks about that is the first stone, and that is the last stone. Thus, the person sitting on the throne radiated an awesome beauty and splendor that words could not simply describe. Then John describes the throne's overall appearance by saying, And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight likened to an emerald the rainbow was not merely an arc. It completely circled the throne vertically, creating a dominant emerald green. This is describing for you what heaven is going to look like. Do you understand? The very throne of God is encompassed with an arc, a rainbow, uh, uh, an arc completely circled the throne of emerald Green. So think about it for a moment. An emerald green throne, circled around an emerald green throne, and then Jesus is translucent, and the brightness of God radiating throughout His throne. The, remi- the rainbow reminds us, of course, of the covenant God made with Genesis, in Genesis chapter number nine, that He would not destroy the earth again by the flood. Number two, the pomp around the throne, and I've really got to hurry. The pomp around the throne. This is found in chapter number 4, verses 4 through 7. The word pomp means stately or brilliant display, splendor, and magnificence. It pictures not only the beauty, but also the reverence due to the source of divine government and power centered around the throne. It, it It is literally the splendor of God. Indeed, pomp is the proper word to describe the throne room, because around the throne of God were four and twenty seats, twenty-four seats. The word seats in the Greek means thrones. So, we have God's throne that he is sitting on, and then there are twenty-four lesser, if I could use that word, or smaller, or less and prominent thrones around his throne. That way they can have a board meeting. I'm kidding, that was a joke. And so, so, so we have the throne of God, and we have the twenty-four thrones around it. Now, so around God's throne were twenty-four lesser thrones on which were four and twenty elders. That's a big deacon board. I'm trying to make you laugh a little bit. It's all right to laugh. All right, Um, four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Crowns of gold. So, the question remains. Who are these 24 elders? Who are these mystery men? Well, I think the Bible tells us who they are. There there are at least a dozen views as to identity. But these elders are probably best understood in light of 1 Chronicles 24 and 25. Now, you've probably heard teaching on the 24 elders, and you've probably heard a lot of different, maybe maybe you have, I don't know. Maybe you've heard a different view than what I'm going to share with you, and it's okay, it really is. Um, but historically, again, if you go back to church history and you go back to biblical history, I believe that the 24 elders are described for us literally in 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and 25. In these chapters, and we don't have time to read, obviously, those chapters, but in these chapters, we find that King David divided the Levitical priesthood into 24 courses or 24 groups to serve in the temple because there were so many priests, they could not all serve at once. However, when one of these 24 groups served, that's supposed to say represented, they represented the whole priesthood. So... Here we have 24 groups that King David divided the Levitical priesthood into. Now they could not all serve at one time. But when one of the groups was serving, they represented the whole group. They represented all 24 groups. Thus, the 24 elders around God's throne, and notice I put could because this is my thought here, could represent the entire heavenly priesthood. Ah, so beckons the question, who is the heavenly priesthood? Right? Let's see if we can answer that question. 1 Peter chapter number 2. Ye also, as living stones, excuse me, lively stones, are built upon a spiritual house, a what? Holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. But ye are a chosen, ye, it's personal now, ye are a chosen generation, a royal generation priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people i love that word in the in the bible that word peculiar you know what it means weird that's what it means it really does it means strange or weird i heard somebody say this one time they said they said some people think i'm a nut but at least i'm screwed on the right bolts I don't know. Anyways. Um, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his light. We are the priesthood. These 24 are representing the whole priesthood. Revelation chapter 3. We've studied it already. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me on the ho, Even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. So... The majesty around the throne is enhanced by lightnings and thunderings. That proceeded out of the throne. This is reminiscent of when God gave his law, that's the word, to men at Mount Sinai. The mountain blazed with fire. Exodus chapter number 19. The Bible says this. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled, and Mount Sinai was our Sinai was all together on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. This is when God was giving the law to Moses. There was thundering and lightnings, the Bible says, coming out of the throne. Further, pomp or magnificence of the throne area is seen in the fact that before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Verse number 6 tells us this. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now that's very interesting. We've got a beast, actually we've got four of them, that have eyes in the back and the front of their heads. My mom always said she had eyes in the back of her head. But I would never call her a beast, just for the record. Um, so we have a beast that, our four beasts that are full of eyes before and behind. The word translated beast is the Greek word zoa, from which we get our English word zoo and zoology. You say, what does that have to do with anything, Pastor? The Greek word simply means living ones. Therefore, these are not vicious wild beasts. They are simply living beings. What does that mean? Well, verse 7 gives us an idea of what these beasts represent. Let's look at verse number 7 very fast. Verse number 7, the Bible says this. And the first beast was like a lion. The second beast like a calf. The third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. The Jews, and this is again, I'm going back to, to history here. The Jews in ancient times believed God created four forms of life. They believe that he created wildlife, such as a lion or a wolf. They believe that he created domestic life, such as a calf or an ox. They believe that he created man as a form. And they believe that he created flying things, such as an eagle or other birds. Do you believe he did that as well? you believe he did that? So, we have four beasts that are representing four forms of life. Now, what does that mean? Revelation 4-7 reminds us all creation will be redeemed, not just the human race. Now, I don't want you to get caught up in this, because we could spend another three hours on (laughs) animals. But we're not going to do that. You just hone in with me, and we're going to keep going, all right? All living things now on earth are under the curse caused by sin, but in heaven all will be redeemed. You say, Pastor, is there a scripture for that? Sure. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 11, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and and, uh, the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. Did you see that? And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion uh, uh, shall eat straw like the ox, they shall not hurt nor destroy, and any of my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. You've heard people say, "The lion is going to lay down with the lamb." You've heard people say that, right? This is the scriptural reference. Now, you've got to understand something, because some of you are trying to figure this out in your mind, and, and I don't want to race ahead, but you've got to understand that, that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You understand that, right? The Bible says old things are passed away, all things are going to become new. Uh, it's a new heaven and a new earth. During the new earth is when the redemption of animals will be. So if you have an animal that you love, even from a distance because you can't get close to them right now, just wait when we get to heaven It'll all be all right. You'll be able to pet your bears and your lions and your wolves. All those things. It's all good. It's all going to happen, all right? Um, So, all right. (laughs) The praise before the throne. I better keep moving before I get myself in trouble. All right, the praise before the throne. Here we go. There's praise. The four living creatures were continually praising God. They were saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. It's very interesting to me that holy is used three times. Perhaps one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. When the four living creatures sing their song of praise, the Bible says the 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever. And ever. These elders vacated their homes to cast their crowns before the Lord God Almighty, for He alone is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. It is He who has created all things, and it is for His pleasure they are and were created. Listen, folks, <clears throat> there's going to come a day. And Jesus Christ raptures out his church. And the Bible says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to be with him. And I believe with all my heart, at the moment that that happens, when we appear in heaven, I don't believe that there's going to be one of us that is going to be able to stand. In the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, I I often allude to this, but it's true. I remember when my wife and I were dating, and I remember that we were progressing in our relationship, and we had talked about getting married. She lived in, or she was going to school in Tennessee. I was in Florida, and we would visit. She lived in Michigan, um, and we'd visit back and forth. Well, one day she came to Florida, and uh, I said, let's go to the mall. She said, okay. So we go to the mall, and we show up at the jewelry store. And I remember walking into this jewelry store, and the guy behind the counter, I knew him. We walked in, and he goes, what's going on? I said, uh, well, just in case. I want her to kind of see what kind of engagement ring she would like. So we start looking at engagement. Now, if you've ever been to the jewelry store, the price tags that they have on the jewelry are very small. And sometimes they're tucked far away. Because you fall in love with the ring before you fall in love with the price. But I remember standing there, I'm, I'm 18, 19 years old, Sitting next to this gorgeous young lady who I thought if I don't put a ring on her finger, somebody else is going to, and so I got to do it right now, you know. And she's like a kid at the candy store. I mean, I want to try that one on. Oh, oh, no, I want to try that one. No, nope, no, nope, let me try that one on, you know. And we're going and we're trying on, we're trying on. finally she puts the one on that is it. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I don't know if she remembers this or not, but I remember like it was yesterday, she took that ring and she put it on her finger, and a tear fell out of her eye. And she turned around, and she kissed me. She said, I know, Pastor, don't get all sappy, I know. (laughs) And then she said these words, I love it. I love it. And you know, from that moment on, we left that store. You thought, I already asked her to marry me. She's got this smile on her face. She's, you know, I mean, it's, it's an exciting moment. She told me she went home and she found a magazine with a ring that looked just like it, and she cut it out. She put it in her book, you know, and she's doing all, you know what I'm talking about ladies, right? Come on. She said, I would just dream about it. Boy, just imagine what heaven is going to be like. I mean, you walk into the brilliance of a jewelry store and yeah, it's great, but that's got nothing on heaven. I went to Romania, I told you that, and we walked into Castle Pele, and if you've ever heard of that, you know the magnificence of it. But it has nothing on heaven. Nothing. I don't believe we're going to be able to stand. But I do believe that we will not be speechless. Because I don't believe we'll be able to hold it in. I believe with all my heart we are going to be doing just as John writes here. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty? <laughs> can I tell you something? Before God can be known as one's Redeemer, He must first be acknowledged as Creator of all things. To know where we should be going, we must first know where we came from. Moreover, God cannot be praised as He should be unless He is the acknowledged Creator and Sustainer of all. Can I give you this last thought? Verse 11 makes clear the reason God created all things, therefore his pleasure. Thus the doctrine of creation described in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, is reaffirmed in the last book of the Bible. God created all things for his pleasure, including you. Including you. Did you see it? Verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That is a present tense and a past tense verb, all in the same sentence. He says, they were made for your pleasure the things that are created and the things that were created, including you and I. Well, thank you so much for your interaction, and um, I, bring your questions. I'm okay with it. I just don't want to jump too far ahead um, because I, I don't want to get anybody confused, and, uh, and if you are confused, come talk to me. Maybe we can try to iron it out, but we, we've hit it. Revelation chapter number five, we start with the seven seals, and uh, we began looking um, at the at the At the seals and what they mean to us as christians and um, but the, you know there 's only one person that has the authority there 's only one person that can make all this happen, and that 's God himself and uh, so it 's going to be an exciting study all right let 's pray, pray together Father, we love you, thank you so much for the word of God. thank you that um, we have the opportunity to study it together. Thank you for the interaction, thank you for the questions thank you that we're thinking about it, and we're dwelling on it, and we're considering a lot of options and different things that are happening. And that, that thrills me, and, and I'm excited about being able to learn and study together. Lord, may you keep our minds fresh. May you keep our minds excited about the things of God. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your week.